So you've spent the last few weeks catching up on the podcast. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Welcome to episode eight of Rewriting Dad. I'm your co-host, Leslie Bradford Scott. And I'm Meg Murphy. Today, we're catching up with Claudio's good friend, Mike. We spoke with him in episode seven. He had no idea about Claudio's past, so we gave him a few weeks to catch up on the podcast, and now he knows everything. Dun, dun, dun. I, I think you guys are incredible. I mean, it's just, it's just all new to me. You, you made a reference to the second act of his life. You know, I, I knew second act Claudio. That's what drew us together. That's, that's where all the parallels came. That's where, um, that's where the appreciation came for, for memories shared and, and stories told. But nothing went back beyond what, you know, from the day we met. And, and the history is phenomenal. I'm not surprised by any of it. I can't imagine what, what you go through living, living with that and going through all those uh, roller coaster rides and, and it's, it's been crazy. It's like a totally different character to me. It hasn't clouded the, my feelings, how he affected me at all. But if I go back and somehow wipe that from my mind, well, this guy is a real, this guy, th this guy was the guy. And if he wasn't the guy, he knew the guy. And, and in our culture, that's, it's so common. I'm the guy for all these people. Half my neighbors think I'm connected just because of my mannerisms and my last name. And, and I know everybody and I can get everything done. So I, I'm a guy. I'm the guy. My dad was a guy. Claudio was a guy. You're always going to have a guy in that little community. And everybody's going to know that guy. And everybody's going to like him. Nobody's going to dislike him because one day you might need the guy. And if you dislike them and we're Italian, you get nothing from the guy. <laughs> it just wildly makes sense when I hear of, of his past and, and the different dealings. It just, uh, something that really struck me was, you know, the relationship with Brad, right? The male child is, is, is the child in the family. Fair or not fair. I have two older sisters. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the special kid. I'm the one by default. You know, my, my dad uh, had two brothers. His eldest brother came back from the war, had one, two, three, four, five girls before I was born. Then my dad had uh, my eldest sister. They lost a baby. My next sister, they lost a baby. So still no boys in the family. When I was born, apparently it was like the king has come. Yeah, apparently I was just given everything and put on the pedestal for, I mean, it's just the way it is in, 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 in our culture. It's, it's. And it still it still rings true because my sisters still make comments all the time. Oh, you know, you're, you were the first boy. What do you expect? You're gonna carry the name on. You're gonna do this. It's it was just was ingrained in the culture. I'm just thinking about what you just said about being a male in an Italian family, mm -hmm. having that expectation, that having to be um, someone to look up to, having to be powerful and successful. Mm -hmm. Is that pressure so intense that if you're a poor immigrant moving to another country right to start over um and you don't have any skills and you're uneducated that drive to success does it just sort of knock down gray lines about well 
how you get there, I, how you become successful? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I, I think it depends on, on what your makeup is. I mean, bottom line is, from what I know from the family tree and the family history is, is on our side and in a lot of my friends' side, they were so desperate that you, I mean, it wasn't even about gray lines. You just did what you had to do to get through that day or that week or that month and, and to feed your kids and, you know, to, to, to get the ice delivered and the coal in the furnace and the whole deal, to be persuaded to, to, to look for other ways. I mean, there was a lot. There was an intense amount of racism and they were rounding up Italians and putting them in mm -hmm. camps during the war, right? And taking the, the, the sole breadwinner in the family, locking them up in camps for like two years. You have all this racism. You have very few opportunities that are not just pure grunt labor. You don't have an education. If you're not doing something sketchy, what are you doing to become successful? Otherwise, you're just, you're going to be working at the factory shoveling coal for your yeah, whole life. Yeah, I mean, is, is, is it just survival or is it or is it, it, it just gets easier and easier after the first time. I mean, you know, you talk about when I can't remember what episode, but like hidden cash and cash deals. And we had a lot in common that way. Cause I, when I started my business, you know, wait a second, I'm working seven months a year to pay taxes before I start making my own money. Uh, maybe we need to start bartering. Maybe we need to find out, you know, and A leads to B and B leads to C and suddenly cash is king for different reasons now than it was then. But then it was because there was just no trust. You come to another country, people are abusing you. You're working your butt off probably 80 hour weeks and you know, you're, you, you've got barely enough to survive. And then I'm gonna give you my money in a bank and you're gonna take care of it for me, but you're gonna charge me to, no, 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 no. I'm gonna find places to hide my money. I'm gonna, that's why cash was king then. Cash is king different now. Just, just because of what you say, uh, but then now it's Bitcoin. Yeah, no, no, no. You know, in Italian culture, we 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 say like I remember going to, with my dad one of the first times he bought a new car, and you know, it was the first time I heard the term as a kid. I was probably eight or nine. Hey, you know, that's not the price. I have cash money. It was suddenly, you know, the lot of hundreds come out and they're like he's doing the thing on the table and they're. And I, I learned from that, hey, look, cash is king, man, cash money. So knowing that, did it make you more sympathetic or empathetic to what Claudio was going through or I, understand? I, I, just, I, just, I just get it. None of it surprises me. Is, is it, do, do I feel, do I, is, is it hurtful? Is it, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine being raised, raised in that. I mean, I had instances of that, but not to, not to this extent that I know of anyways. But it it just reads it just reads like an Italian family Sunday. It's just familiar to me, and I, I think he would just go, "You get it." Yeah, I kind of get that. You know, I'm, I might have thrown some things out there that I might have questioned some of the things, but I don't know how he how he would have responded to that. He might have. And what what would you have questioned? What do you what would you like to ask him? I, I mean, I've had my experiences uh, with with some different and nefarious things, but. The, the, the thing that we may differ in is, you know, I, I met my wife when I was 15 in high school. And we're 59 this year. We've been married, you know, just right out of university. And I, I've, I've always had this thing about family and my wife. And if we were having kids, how I would be with my kids. And that that would be all encompassing. And that would trump anything. Oh, I hate using the word trump these days. That, that, but that would trump anything that, that would make me want to do what I had done in the past for gains. Um, 
and we we might we we might have been different men that way. I don't know how that conversation would have went. I might have questioned some of the things with your mom and with how he was with with you guys as kids and and, and teenagers. Certainly would never judge another person. I, I just I, I don't have that in me. I mean, it, we've we've all got a story. Who am I to judge? I can comment. I can project how I think I would handle it. Maybe I wouldn't handle it that way. Learning about Brad, how did, what was that like for you? I was really surprised to hear that. I wasn't really surprised to hear how, you know, he says he, he blames himself. And, and that, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? That whole male, you know, the, your, your son and, and in the culture. It's just so foreign and so new to anything we ever discussed. Just so out there. You know, almost like if it came from a different source, it'd be like, yeah, that didn't happen. That's, come on. I, I find it so hard. And I've been thinking a lot about it because, as I think I said the first time we spoke, I had a connection. And, and, and I still do with that man. But, there, I mean, there's reasons why I guess that any of that ever came up. You know, none of that. It, it's just so sad. I think he, you know, as full as, as his life was and as interesting and calm as he seemed in Act 2 of his life, that whole prior... I think I think there's a big hole there. I think he missed out on a lot, but I mean, we do what we know. That's what he did to make things the way he thought they had to be. I guess that's that's how it was done. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of hurt there. Yeah. Yeah. Meg, the first time we got together and you read my dad's manuscript, you didn't know if you wanted to take this project on because you were worried that you really didn't like this guy. And you didn't think you wanted to be involved. You had to really think about it hard. Having spent some time talking with Mike about his relationship with Claudio, has that changed anything about what you feel about Claudio? Yes, it has. I think, I think by nature, I'm like Mike, where I, well, I like to think I'm like you, Mike, where I, <laughs> I, uh, careful, careful. You're the guy? You're the guy? <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> Makes I come from a family of all girls, so one of us had to be the guy. You're the best looking guy I've ever come across from all the guys I've come across, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I, I, I like to think that I don't judge people and that I don't snap to judgments. And I think I did because it was hard not to initially. And there is still some narcissism <laughs> that is hard to wrap your head around when you when I'm just reading his version of events. But I also recognize that there's more to anybody and there's something really interesting about someone that will go to these kind of lengths and will do these kind of things. There has to be a charisma to him that would be enchanting. And then as I got to know you better, Leslie, I got protective of you as my friend. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's upsetting. So I want to understand him more, but I'm also, I'm getting to know him and I am making new judgments and I'm getting to learn about him more. And I wish I had the opportunity to know him in person and hearing who he was with Mike and for Mike and his friends has been really <clears throat> lovely. And seeing you, Leslie, make peace with some of this mm -hmm. is, I'm getting a little teary. It's really nice. It's, it's moving. I want you to love your dad the way I love my dad. 
and I want in all of his complexity. So it's lovely for me to be on the journey to help you find that. Wow. Yeah, it's a, that's a gift. Wow. That's, 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 she's a gift. That's awesome. Meg, if you had something that you could ask my dad, what would you ask him? I would love to ask him. I would love him to make me an amazing meal, very rich French food, maybe some Italian appetizers, but it's the $1,200 <laughs> bottle of wine. I would love to ask him about some of his exploits and go, no, seriously, tell me from a pretty sheltered life over here, growing up the daughter of a criminal lawyer, tell me about all of it. And then I would like to ask him about if he feels regret, if he feels, I feel like it would bring peace if he could say to you, I'm sorry, I didn't know it hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. It would be good to know that it, to me to me it's incredible how you know we we're all going to have journeys in our life we all have journeys and, and the things that influence how our journeys turn and how they affect us and how we look back on them i mean it's just such a fascinating process i often wished i, I went through this with, with my own dad i, I often wished that hurt and sometimes disappointment didn't have to be such a deciding and powerful factor in how we get through it all. It just seems so backwards to me, <laughs> but in the end, it just seems to create who we who we become and 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 how we impart what we have to share on the people that are important to us, I guess. Um, and that rings through with what you guys are doing. To me, anyways, that's where it hits me. And there's a lot of little funny parts and a lot of little interesting parts, but the journey is, why, why can't journeys just be easy and fun and, and black and white? They just never seem to be. It's so complicated. What has learning about Mike's relationship with your dad meant to you, and how is it changing your image of him? Hearing about the relationship that you had, Mike, with him, my dad, is filling in or texturizing the picture I have of him and the memory I have of him. It's, it's almost like, do you ever see the, uh, do you ever do a jigsaw puzzle and it's really flat? And if you've ever done a three-dimensional puzzle, like of the Eiffel Tower, that's what it's like. It's this process. It's like I'm turning something flat into something three-dimensional and I'm build and I keep building on it. And I have a richer understanding of the of the human being. Forget about him being my dad, of the human being. I'm understanding how he came to do some things, how he got tangled up in things, why, what his motivations are, what it would have been, what it have would have been like to be a poor immigrant right. coming to a country filled with racism and having this burning desire. I have that burning desire to be successful, to be an entrepreneur, to make something of myself, to build something. I must have got that from him. Had I had as few resources that he did as a young immigrant to this country, maybe I would have done anything to satisfy that burning desire to become somebody important, somebody, a, a meaningful person in my family and successful in my community and to, 
and to satisfy all the desires that I had to create and build. Maybe I would have done anything. Maybe I would have done some deals out of the back door. And then I would have tasted what it was like to have some cash and to put some nice clothes on and stand up a little bit taller. You know, I was bullied severely in school and I know what that's like. And there's a lot, a lot to, there's a lot to feeling like your life has meaning, that you mean something to people and in their eyes, you're successful. I was born in a different time. And how can anybody that wasn't in that situation who didn't come on over you know, on a ship starving with no opportunity and no education, how can any of us judge that? So yes, I can see that my dad had a positive impact on people that I wasn't even really aware of. I had no idea. And that means a lot. That, that's, that's refreshing and healthy. Because I, I don't think a lot of us in this day and age and in our generation, I don't think a lot of people think that way. I think this was so, social media and pressures of advertising and whatnot, I think people just rush to judgment. And, and, and it's so easy to do also. I, you know, I've made those mistakes too. And, you know, the beauty in owning up to them is one thing, but then the beauty of catching yourself and not doing it the second time is, is even a better thing. And a lot, a lot of our generation just don't have the, we don't have the background and the basis to, to judge that stuff because it's such a, such a privileged upbringing, such a, I mean, we went through nothing. I really have a lot of appreciation and gratitude for you sharing with me so many beautiful details of your friendship. It really means a lot. It was short, but it was powerful, boy. <laughs> knowing Claudio and now knowing Leslie just a little bit and hearing the podcast and what her experiences have been like, how do you think she's like her dad? I think, I think you're, I think you're motivated. I think you're a fighter. Um, I truly believe that you would do anything. You know, you, you were saying earlier, how do I know I wouldn't have reacted that way in, in his position? I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. And, and for the little bit of time I knew Claudio, that's a beautiful thing to me because you have, you have the benefit of, of now knowing all this and, the experiences you're going through and putting it together. I think that makes you, you know, Claudio plus. And, and that's, that's going to be, that's going to be good. That's, that's only going to be good for everybody around you. So there, there are some similarities there. Can I ask you a question, Leslie? Sure. When, when this started, I, my impression early was, I felt like you were looking for answers more than, more than what it's evolved to now, because now I don't think it's just about, I don't think it's about answers. What did my dad do? Why did he do that? Oh my God, he did this. Oh shit, I can't believe he did that. I, I, I think it's evolved to a lot more. Um, but did it, did it start out that way or did it start out with what it is now? No, I just like was being an, I, yeah, no, for me, I was just being an investigative sort of like, it's almost like okay. I was an investigative journalist. Like I just need to uncover right. these secrets and find out, get to bottom, get to the bottom of these secrets. And then it became about healing all of this lifetime of pain and sadness 
and this always running away from my father figuratively like i've spent my whole life trying not to be my like my father now i'm sort of running into him and embracing all the goodness that i got from him while understanding him as a much more complicated human being than i gave him credit for could understand meg was right when she said it it's more about my personal growth as a human through understanding my father well i think you just just keep doing what what uh, what some wise people have always said and i I think i've heard you guys say it too right one foot in front of the other when we get too detailed and and you know it's it's not always rocket science man it's sometimes it's just right there and you just you just got to push through the door and take that next step and see where it goes yeah i can't thank you enough by the way and also i'm really hoping that if you ever get up this way you'll come and sit on the in the barn with me and have a bottle of wine and Meg can come over and meet you and that would be amazing (laughs) I forgot to tell you the best part of the wine story and before you go I want to make sure you know this so my dad did have a two thousand dollar bottle of wine he had a few really collectible wines and so he wanted that yeah he he was was saving it no it was two thousand dollar bottle of wine and he'd been saving it for years and um, he was saving it for a special occasion. And so we're like, why don't you just have the bottle now? Right. This was like, it was too late really for him to have it. So if you remember, right. my sister came and I had yes. to go watch Peter become a Canadian citizen. I was there for three weeks and then I had to leave and go away for t- a weekend. <laughs> so while I was gone for that three days, he died. And my sister had come in right at the last minute. And she right. opened the yeah, goddamn like right bottle the of 2000. She, right at the wire, she opened the bottle of wine and drank it and gave my dad like a dropper. Okay, you've had your wine now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And it didn't save me any. <laughs> we ended up actually putting my dad's ashes in the box that that came in, the wood box. Yeah. Wow. So he's... That's My dad's funny. ashes are in a wine box. <laughs> it seems appropriate. It says French yes. or Italian. French or it, Italian. Now, yeah, it was a French. <laughs> it was French, as I recall. It's almost a perfect ending. Yeah. But I think the box was made in Italy, that's so that's even better. <laughs> okay, we're all good now. We're all good now. Sa- says says the Italian who is a Scotch snob. I mean, <laughs> Thanks, Thank Mike. you for being with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Great to see you guys. Great to hear you. Coming this fall in season two of Rewriting Dad. And I thought we were just like a, a nice, normal family. And I, I've told that story through my whole adult life about <laughs> friends I knew when I was like, yeah, we had an ocelot. I'm like, that's so cool. And my sister remembers that you had a shrunken head. So I order this book on the mafia off Amazon and I'm like three quarters of the way through it and just stopped in the middle of the page. There's my dad's name. I'm like, holy shit. I had no idea. I had no idea he was in a book. 
I have the contact information for the lead investigator who put your dad in jail. So it's an article about your dad. I look at the date, it's like from 1993. I'm like, you've had this? And he looks at me and he says, I don't think your brother's accident was an accident. So here we are, two newlyweds in this little tiny town in Vermont. We, I wake up in the morning, my husband's still sleeping, go over to the window to check out the town because I haven't seen it in the daytime, I've only seen it at night. And I'm like, holy shit. We are surrounded by the SWAT team. And I think, what has my dad gotten us into? Are we going to prison for the rest of our lives? And then we'll see you this fall, my fellow sleuthkins. <laughs> <laughs> We're idiots. <laughs> we are. <laughs>